0: Welcome to the Mercy Comments Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. I'm Nick. Um, We are going through a series on the book of Genesis, and we've entitled our series Like Father, Like Son. One of the reasons we've done that is because we recognize not only in our lives personally that there are... Um, ways of doing family that have affected us, uh, ways that we deal with conflict, ways that we deal with money, different things, but also our spiritual heritage has affected the way in which we engage with this world. We call it like father, like son because it's catchy, not because it excludes anyone. It's uh, like father, like family didn't kind of seem to land Uh, But it's basically the story of looking at the uh, forefathers of our faith and seeing how they responded to God, seeing the mistakes that they made, and how we can benefit from them. Uh, Two weeks ago, Karin did exceptionally well in taking us uh, from Abraham to Isaac. Abraham had the son that was long-promised. And God asked Abraham to take Isaac and to sacrifice him to show his commitment, not only to God, but to the fact that God was able to do whatever God needed to be done. Now we get to the story of Isaac. Sarah has died. Abraham is about to die. And he orders his servant to go and find Isaac a wife. Now, the most important thing is that this wife must not be a Canaanite. And the reason for that is because Abraham is afraid that if his sons marry Canaanites, then the way in which they will respond to God, seriously. I just want to tell you that last week when Alan preached, no one knocked over. I know. Okay. Okay. So we've got a $5 charge from now on, right? It'll be all right. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, help me. Father, I want to thank you for your kindness in that we don't need to wonder what you're thinking. We don't need to wonder what your desire is. We don't need to wonder how we can connect with you. All of it is written in your word for us. I want to thank you that there is, um, every time we come to your word, something new and something unique, a different shade and angle that we can look at. I want to pray for many of us in this room that even though this is a passage that we may be familiar with on the surface, I want to pray that the Spirit of God would just enable us um, to ask the question, God, what is it that you need me to hear? And Spirit of God, help me to make that a reality in my life. So Isaac says to his servant, I want you to find, um, Abraham says to his servant, I want you to find um, Isaac a wife. And um, I want you to make sure that she's not a Canaanite. So Isaac uh, goes on this quite elaborate quest. Uh, it reminds me of when, um, when I first met Karen, and we were uh, ministering at a, um, at a uh, reformatory. A reformatory is like a, a, a juvenile delinquent place Holding place, juvie. You know, it's it's a place where they stay and are not allowed to leave. And um, and so we were there, and I'd known Karen for a while. Uh, you know, I'd known that she was like super straight laced and you know very nice and kind and all those those kinds of things. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and, um, and I, I thought I had this picture of of like who she was. And I remember I was outside at that stage of my life. I was quite bohemian in my dress. I was wearing sandals. And, um, and I was outside, and, and I'd somehow got sand in my sandals. I was just, I was just shaking out the sand from my sandals. And, um, and she came out, and she says, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm, I'm shaking out the sand from my sandals. She says, oh. And so she waits for me to finish shaking out all the sand from my sandals, and then she kicks more sand in my sandals. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, seriously? Um, but it was in that moment where I thought to myself, I don't know this woman as well as I as well as I thought I knew her. And and it was in that moment where I was like, I really want to get to know this woman. Um, you know, uh, in, in in terms of that. And and as weird as that may sound, it's not as weird as what Isaac's servant does, okay? So Isaac's servant is like, can you imagine getting the job to find your boss's son a wife? So he goes off and he sits at this well and he says, okay, um. Um, the first lady that comes here and offers me water um, will be his wife. No, wait. The first lady that comes here and offers me and my camel's water will be my boss's son's wife. And so that's what happens. Um, She comes and she offers him water. She offers um, the camel's water. And uh, and then he gives her a nose ring um, and, and tells her, take me to your father. Now, those of you that are thinking that's a little weird, um, I just want you to know there are 17 dating apps right now, right? And, and let me just say that, that in, in terms of the weirdness of how people get together, whether it's kicking sand in your shoes, whether it's an app, or whether you stand at a well waiting for someone to give camels water, the reality is, is, is that God somehow is in all of this for Isaac, And um, this is not a story about how you met your wife or how I met my wife. I just thought it was really weird. And so now I'm going to preach from this passage. (laughs) Genesis 29 verse 19. It has nothing to do with camels or water or husbands and wives. I just really wanted to put that out there. Genesis 25 verse 19 to 34. These are the family records of Isaac, son of Abraham, Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took his wife, Rebekah. This is the wife that the servant found for him. Daughter of Betheliel, the Aramean, from Padan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord was receptive to his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. But the children inside her struggled with each other, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When her time came to give birth, they were indeed twins in her womb. The first one came out red-looking, covered with hair like a fur coat. They named him Esau. After this, his brother came out grasping Esau's heel with his hand, so he was named Jacob, or grasper, or supplanter. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. How old was Isaac when they got married? 20 years. He prayed for his wife. That's for free. When the boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter, an outdoorsman, but Jacob was a quiet man, or also a mild man, and stayed at home. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field exhausted. He said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. And that's why he was also named Edom, which is the connection to red. Let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, said Esau, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore to Jacob and sold his birthright to him. Then Jacob gave bread and lentil stew to Esau. He ate, drank, got up, and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. What is he giving up? You know, for us, it's a little hard to wrap our minds around this, this whole idea of birthright, but in, in those days, when a father had sons, he would divide the estate into equal parts. Um, And if he had two sons, uh, then basically he would divide it into three parts, and the first son would get two of the three. Now, this this became less dramatic when you had 14 sons, because you would divide it by 14, and the first son would get a double portion. But when it's only two sons, it means that the first son is getting two-thirds of the entire inheritance. So not only is there a material blessing that he is foregoing, he's also foregoing the leadership of the clan. So not only is he foregoing this material blessing, but he's foregoing this spiritual blessing. For us, we seem a little disconnected. You know? um, I don't know that we're ever going to sit down and our father's going to open the world and say, you know, because you're the firstborn, you get double that and your sister gets nothing. That's not going to happen right now. It doesn't happen to us. So what is is the connection to us with regards to birthright? I want to say that a birthright is a spiritual and material blessing that we receive from God, but it's also submission to a family way of doing things that may seem restrictive but is intended for our flourishing and joy. So Jesus promises us both material and spiritual blessings if we follow Him. It isn't just the blessing of the age to come that we get. A good example of this is the prodigal son. The prodigal son received the material blessing of his father but did not want to participate in the family way. And so there was a sense in which he despised part of the blessing but he was quite happy to take the material blessings. Some of us are like that. Jesus has told his disciples that whoever leaves father and mother house to follow me will in this age and in the age to come receive blessings. And so for us, one of the things that we've got to look at when it comes to a birthright is as Christ followers, it is the physical and material blessing that we have as we align ourselves to the God's family way of doing things, which may seem a little restrictive, but it's ultimately for our flourishing and joy. What does despising His birthright even mean? Now today, we tend to use the word despised in the context of hate. So like, ooh, that he, I despise that, or she despises him. But in those days, it was a little more nuanced. The word despised could mean to look down upon, or to hold in contempt, or to undervalue. And that's exactly what, what Esau did. Throughout the, the biblical story, we see men and women that don't just despise out of lack. So what happened with Esau is he was tired, and he was hungry, and all of these things happened, and there was a sense of lack which made him despise. But we read in 2 Samuel 12:7 of another man called David. And David has sinned dramatically. He has taken the wife that belonged to someone else, and because he wanted to keep her, he's killed her husband. And a prophet comes to him and says this to him: Nathan said to David, You are this man, because he told a parable about this man who took something from someone else. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that was not enough, I would have given you more. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife as your own. You murdered him with the Ammonite sword. Now therefore... The sword will never leave your house because you despised me. And you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife. Now, oftentimes, we tend to think that the devaluation of our spiritual birthright has to do with our circumstances. You know, God, it wouldn't be so hard to follow your family way of doing things If things went my way. But we see in the picture of Esau and David, Esau is a picture of someone that devalued and despised his birthright out of lack. And we see in David, someone that despised his birthright. He had everything. And God said, I would have given you more if you'd asked. So the despising of our spiritual birthright is not about our circumstances, it's about the condition of our souls. You can despise your birthright and have everything that everyone else wants. Or you can have nothing and feel completely content with what God has given you. It's important for us to know the condition of our soul. I had a professor who would say this, that um, our feelings are like the um, warning lights on the dashboard of our soul. And when those warning lights come on, some of them are more serious than others, right? Some of them are maintenance, and you can go probably about another 5,000 miles before you do the oil change, right? Some of them are engine check, and you better get that checked out right away. But those warning lights are what our feelings are, and feelings are important. And part of the, the challenge that we have is that our feelings are either our slaves or our servants. And, and, and most of the time for us, we are strangers to our feelings, We don't know what's going on in our heart, or we are slaves to them. And part of understanding and and recognizing and valuing what God has given us is being able to kind of dig a little deeper as those warning lights come on into the condition of our soul to say, God, what am I feeling? Because if if I'm feeling this way, I am prone to act in a way that despises my spiritual birthright, where I devalue what it is that you've given me. And so there's four things I want to talk about today. And the one is when you feel unappreciated, when you feel tired, when you feel bored, and when you feel unproductive. And so that's what we're going to talk about. The first is, do I feel underappreciated? It's a very interesting scripture in verse 28 where it says, Isaac loved Esau because he has a taste for wild game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Being underappreciated is incredibly tough. You feel alone. You feel unseen. You feel taken for granted. And you can feel underappreciated in a number of different contexts. You can feel underappreciated in your marriage. You can feel underappreciated in your job. You can feel underappreciated in the context of your broader friendships and relationships. You can even feel underappreciated in the context of church or even your relationship with God. You believe that nothing you do will ever be good enough when you feel underappreciated. You're constantly living under this cloud. And the problem is some of us, when we feel underappreciated, begin to behave like Esau in a sensual, self-centered, impulsive, and vindictive way. And people that are underappreciated take the idea of self-care and turn it into feeding their own flesh. So what happens is I feel underappreciated. No one is taking care of me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to soothe that by feeding my flesh, thinking that it's self-care, thinking that I'm being kind to myself. But it's not. You're just getting into more trouble. Now, all of us are prone to this. And and all of us, because we're human, have situations where we we have impetuous moments, where we do things that we probably shouldn't do because we feel underappreciated. Maybe a harsh word or, fine, I'm going to go and, you know, buy a tag watch because Corin is underappreciated. And thankfully, I have no ability to do that, you know. (laughs) But what begins as a temporary state for Esau becomes his character. And this is important because as we look through the rest of Scripture in Genesis 26, verse 34 and 35, after this exchange happens between Esau and Isaac, and remember, what did Isaac say that he wanted for his son in terms of a wife, someone that was not a Canaanite, right? So listen to the Scripture. When Esau was 40 years old, he took as his wives Judith, daughter of Bariah the Hittite, and Basimoth, daughter of Elon the Hittite. They made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So he's gone out, and he said, Fine, this thing happens. I'm going to do something to rub it in your face. And so he gets these two Canaanite wives that make life horrible for his mom and dad. After the blessing is stolen from Esau, and we'll get to that, this is what Esau does. Uh, Genesis 28, verse 6 to 9. Esau noticed that Isaac blessed Jacob. Underappreciated. Esau noticed that Isaac blessed Jacob and sent him to Padden Aram to get a wife there. When he blessed him, Isaac commanded Jacob, do not marry a Canaanite girl. And Jacob listened to his father and mother. Esau realized that his father disapproved of the Canaanite woman. So Esau went to Ishmael. You guys remember Ishmael? Esau went to Ishmael and married, in addition to his other wives, Mahalath, daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. She was the the daughter of Neboah. So what does he do? He acts in a childish, vindictive, immature way because he feels underappreciated, and undervalued. Now you say, um, it's not likely for me to go and marry someone that is kind No, you probably are not likely to do something like that. But just like Esau, what happened in that moment where he sold his birthright, undervalued it, devalued his spiritual birthright, he started a series... He started... Uh, sorry, set in motion a series of events that would take him further and further away. Part of the challenge that we need to realize is that unlike Esau, it is unlikely that we are going to have this one moment where we despise our birthright. It's more than likely for us, it'll be a series of little moments where we despise our birthright, where we undervalue the spiritual gifts that God has given us, where where we look down upon those things and wish we had what other people had and then begin to act in these childish, vindictive, immature ways that are designed to hurt, we think, other people but actually end up hurting us? Am I underappreciated? Or do I feel underappreciated? Am I tired? It says, Scripture says that Esau was exhausted. He was actually tired. He wasn't making this up. This was a reality. The weariness is real. Scripture tells us that he was exhausted. And in verse 31, Jacob tells him, first sell me your birthright, but Esau says to him, look, I am about to die. Oh. I'm such a drama queen. I'm about to die. What good is birthright to me? Was he about to die? No. No. Did he feel like he was about to die? Probably. In in reality, for him, he probably felt that. You know, in our home, we have this this sign. And like when people are getting a little too dramatic, we just go, God, such a drama queen, you know. And that's what Esau was in this moment. He was a real drama queen. Now, the problem is, is that weariness does make us do some pretty stupid things. I, uh, I know a man, and those of you that know Bob, Bob, are you here? Bob's here, right? Bob is probably the most Christ-like person I know in, in, in the context of, um, of, of this gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> sorry, Neil. I'm like, this is so good. Maybe I should rephrase this. Okay. I know, I know a man called Dudley who's very similar to Bob. Um, and, um, and Dudley used to work in El Segundo. And uh, he would wake up 5 o'clock in the morning to try and beat the traffic. Um, those of you that have traveled to LAX will know what I'm talking about. Well, Dudley would get tired from time to time, like legitimately tired, and he would drive on the shoulder of the road. Okay. Now think of the most godly person that you can, whether it's Bob or not, sorry Bob, but think of the most godly person that you know and, and he just would flip out and he would just drive on the shoulder of the road. And he would get, I kid you not, four to five fines um, a year because he just didn't care. He just was up to here and he was going to drive on the shoulder of the road. When we are tired, we try to solve Problems with a temporary solution that ends up making our future worse. Guess what he was paying in insurance? Never mind. Okay. (laughs) He's not going to die. The problem when we're tired and hungry, and, and I'm saying, look, legitimately, you can be tired or hungry. You could be tired in the context of your job. You could be weary in the, in the context of children. There's a lot of reasons why you could be tired, but, but please be careful that you don't amplify and globalize that situation. I am about to die. Now, I know moms and dads of young children, it feels legitimately like you are going to die or kill somebody, Right? <laughs> You know, those are the two areas, okay? But you are not going to die, okay? You're not going to die. I want to say a thing. There are seasons and times in all of our lives, and seasons are things that recur. You know, summer, fall, winter, spring, there are, there are seasons, and then there are times in our lives. And one of the things that we're realizing with an 18, 16, and 14-year-old is that that time, unless we adopt Children, that time is, is gone. You know, we're not going to have that season again. And, and when you ask God for help, help yourself by saying, God, this is an, a season where I need your help. I know I'm going to need your help again in this season, but this is a time that will never be repeated. Please, I need your help because I feel like I'm going to die. And I don't want to make a decision that offers a sense of t- temporary short-term gain where I will have long-term pain. We had friends of ours that we didn't see for two years because they started late one night taking their one-and-a-half-year-old on a walk so that he would sleep in the stroller. And like two-and-a-half years later, that's the only way he would sleep, okay? Short-term pain, long-term gain. And so there are times where we make decisions that actually know we're not going to go on this walk. We are going to... Settle, we're going to be firm, because we're going to teach this kid how to sleep. Now, this is not about sleep training. This is, That's just an example, okay? So, otherwise, people are going to throw their hydroflasks at me, I think. <laughs> Do I feel unproductive? Here's Esau, right? Says he was a skilled hunter, an outdoorsman. I mean, I'd like to be, you know, if, if any book is written about me, I'd like to be thought of that way, but I really am not, you know. I don't even like camping, so. Um, But it's when we feel unproductive that we are also tempted to undervalue our spiritual birthright. He returns from the hunt. He obviously hasn't killed anything. Um, And this is what really cracks me up. Here is a outdoorsman used to living out there. He sells his birthright. For lentil stew come on even if you're vegan lentils are of the devil you know what i mean <laughs> 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 i mean <laughs> 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 okay let's not make that a thing okay <laughs> There are lots of areas where our lack of productivity can make us feel like we need to make some other decisions. Man, I've, I've played by the rules. At work, I've played by the rules. I've done everything right, and I'm not progressing. Well, this game is rigged, so my options are to just bail or to cheat. Those are decisions that we make when we're in pain because we don't realize that there's the sense of like, man, I've been out there for days, I'm supposed to be the skilled hunter, I'm supposed to be an outdoorsman, and I come to my mild-mannered brother who's cooking stew, and all I can think of is I'm about to die, give me something. It's in times where we feel unproductive, whether you feel unproductive as a dad whether you feel unproductive as a worker. Even in a place of great gifting, spiritually, you may feel like unproductive. God has given you a specific call and you feel like there's no fruit from that. Please don't despise for the short term what God wants to give you for the long term. And finally, am I bored? And like I said, the, the reason I'm looking at David and Esau here is it's in this, um, this phrase, despise the Lord or despise the the command of the Lord, that it's used of Esau and of David. When David should have been leading the army, because that's what Scripture tells us. When David should have been out there doing his job, doing what God had called him to do. When he should have been out there, he's at home. He's bored. He can't sleep. He's wandering around on the roof. And he looks across there, and he sees this naked woman taking a bath. And it's out of boredom, and it's out of a sense of like, well... Let me invite her over and see what happens. You know this sayings, the idle hands of the devil's playwork? You know why that saying exists? Because it's true. So many men I know have gotten caught in habitual sin out of boredom. And so many men I know are unable to break free from habitual sin because of boredom. And if you have not been able to identify those areas in your life where where you give yourself or are more open to sin in seasons of boredom, please be careful. Because God has not called us to just sit around with idle hands. As someone who, who came to faith later in life, um, I have a rich appreciation for this birthright. And I remember when I was 16, and people would tell me about what Jesus has, has done for me. I shared this with, with a group on Friday. I remember the first time God spoke to me, I was so freaked out, I ran into the other room, and someone had to go and tell me what was happening. And I could not understand how people could not be excited about what I had received. And part of it was because I had received this birthright later on in life. Most of the people in this room, I understand, have had the privilege, and hear what I say, because it is a privilege of being sustained in a family where that birthright was given to them when they were really young. Part of your challenge is to rehearse that. Part of your challenge is to rehearse the intimacy. And the cure for boredom in all of this is not to find something else to occupy your mind, but the cure for boredom is an intentional rehearsal of intimacy and an external focus that will help you identify other people that need to receive this birthright. Does that make sense? Let me say this. When we focus... On other people, it's hard to become bored with what God has, has given us. When Karen and I are sitting with a couple that has lost a baby, and we see how God is comforting them, and how God has poured His grace upon them, and how in the midst of their pain, they are still saying, but we trust you, God. It's hard to become bored with Jesus. When we share the gospel with someone and they begin to ask questions and there's a a greater sense of, of desire and their life begins to unravel and they come to us, it's hard to become bored with that. When we look at our lives instead of trying to find things that soothe our flesh and we're saying, how can I love and how can I disciple? It's hard to become bored with that. It's the story of a man in this church who met with another man Um, to go through some difficult portions of Scripture. And he said to me, man, as, as I was telling this guy and showing this guy the story of God, something just began to stir in me of the grace that I've received and the wonder of the Word of God. And if we're not in positions to do that, and if we're not sharing our faith or discipling or loving people to wholeness, we will get bored because we were never designed To just sit there with the gift that we've received. Boredom leads to cynicism. And the root of cynicism is pride. What am I feeling? Am I tired? Am I bored? Do I feel underappreciated? What am I feeling? How can the Spirit of God help me? How can I ask the Spirit's help if I don't know what I'm feeling? I don't know what I'm feeling. Ask the Spirit for help. He is there to help us. God is not playing hide and seek with us. Ask the Spirit for help. The story gets weirder. As as, uh, Esau has sold his birthright to Jacob, never intending for any of this to happen, because that's what we do. We make these statements, and we never intend to follow through on them. He never intends to follow through on them. So he hears... uh, um, Sorry, Rebecca overhears the fact that Isaac wants to bless Esau. And so they concoct this plan. And Rebecca says, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cook this goat stew while Esau is out to get his father's favorite stew. And while he's there, you put some goat skin on and you go in there and, and you pretend to be Esau so that you can receive the blessing. Right? <laughs> I'm like, on what planet is that gonna work? I know he's old and decrepit and blind. But he's seriously not going to tell the difference between goat stew and venison stew. He's seriously not going to tell the difference between someone that's wearing goats and actually I can, I can feel my sin. And he's not going to tell the difference between someone's voice? Apparently not. That's how old he was. Okay? <laughs> this is a moment where deception is sown into the family history. And we will see it reap many times over for Jacob. And Neil will touch on that next week, but this is where that seed is sown and the fruit will continue to grow. Is the point of this story, you got to make it happen. You know, if God has promised you something, then you got to make it happen. So this is Rebecca. Well, God promised me. He said, look, the younger will serve the older, and so I've got to make it. That's not the point of the story. Is the point of the story that make sure you don't mess up like Esau, because there's no... No, that's not the point of the story. No one is worthy in this. You know, when you read this story, you're like, these people are messed up. All of them. That is right. That's the point of the story. <laughs> now hear me out here. No one is worthy of this covenantal blessing that will follow Israel throughout all of their fathers and mothers. And this story is proof that God is merciful and gracious and faithful. Esau is a sensual, short-sighted, angry man. Jacob is a deceptive, manipulative, scared mama's boy. Rachel is controlling and lacks faith. And I've already spoken about Isaac, the dithering old man that gives his um, blessing to, uh, to the wrong kid. Man, if I was writing a family history, I would leave all of this out. So many of our mothers and fathers look petty. They look stupid and deceptive because they are. And so many of us are like that. But what do we do? We throw ourselves on the grace and mercy of God. The cure for boredom is a responsibility to each other. Hebrews 12, verse 12 says this, Therefore strengthen your tired hands and weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. Pursue peace With everyone and holiness, without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God. Not just make sure you don't. Make sure no one falls short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. And make sure there isn't any immoral or sensual. And often that that term is described as sexually immoral connected to Esau's wives, but the idea is this, make sure that there isn't someone who is being driven by their fleshly needs rather than, um, rather than uh, responding to God positively. Make sure there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a simple, simple meal. Now this is scary, for you know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected even though he sought it with tears because he didn't find an opportunity for repentance. So the writer of Hebrews is reminding the Hebrews of the story of Esau. And he's saying, you guys have a collective responsibility for each other. Your collective responsibility is to strengthen tired hands and weak knees. Your collective responsibility is to make a straight path so that so the people that are struggling can walk on this path. Your collective responsibility is to pursue peace with everyone. Your collective responsibility is to help people not fall short of the grace of God. And that can be a statement like, Neil, that's not a good decision. You are undervaluing your birthright. I know you're tired. I know you're bored. I know all of these things. And I'm here to help you, but don't do this. Don't sell it for a meal because you know what? How many of us have made exceptionally good decisions when we're exhausted and tired? How many of us wake up the next morning and thank God we didn't act on what we were feeling the night before? How many of us have rejected when Neil says, Nick, don't do it, and have rejected that, and actually the next day are so grateful that someone loved me enough to say, bro, that's a bad call. That's a bad decision. He was rejected even though he sought it with tears because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. Well, what is our hope then? What is our opportunity for repentance? Well, our hope is different because we will never be rejected. Our hope is not like Esau's. It's never too late. Never too late. Even if I despised my birthright this morning, sold it all, squandered it all like the prodigal, I can find my way back home because Jesus seeks me out. Because Jesus secured that. Why? Because Jesus was despised. So even though I despise my birthright, I look at the Old Testament prophets that prophesy of a man that would be despised. In Isaiah 53 verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sufferings who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we did not value him. Yet he bore our sicknesses. And he carried our pain, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquity. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. What opportunity do we have for repentance? We have the greatest opportunity because Jesus was despised. Not only was Jesus despised, but Jesus despised the shame Of being despised, because in Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, This is what we are to do. We are to keep our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, what? Despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. As a Christ follower, you are part of the covenant of the promise, you will never be rejected. Because your faith does not rest on your actions. Your faith rests on the finished work of Jesus Christ, who despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Ben, you can come up. You are loved, not tolerated. You are cherished, not ignored. We are the joy that Jesus is looking forward to. We are. Think about that. When Jesus was on the cross, what he was seeing was us responding in faith and a rebellious, wayward family coming back to him with glory and grace. Our feelings of being underappreciated have been obliterated because we are called sons of God because that is what we are. Our feelings of hunger and thirst will forever be quenched because we've been given the bread of life in Jesus and we have within us a never-ending fountain of life through the Holy Spirit. Our feelings of weariness and lack of productivity are soothed by the shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures who restores our soul. And our boredom is terminated when we make the decision to join God in the restoration of all things, as He continues to use us, the weak, to confound the wise, my God, I pray. I pray for my brothers and sisters here that may be feeling tired, weary, exhausted. That may be feeling underappreciated. That may be feeling a sense of boredom. Maybe. Sensing that, God, why is this happening? Father, I want to pray that your Spirit would come upon us now. I want to pray that you would help us to identify what it is that we are feeling so that we can ask for help in our time of need. I want to pray that you would give us strength so that we can help those around us with weak knees and weak hands. And I want to pray that you would be here offering forgiveness for those that have sold their birthright, because for us there is an opportunity for repentance, and it is your shed blood and your broken body. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, Please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.